if I could have all the little kids that are going to go to, uh, to the uh, preschool uh, uh, worship time. Wait, come here, come here, come here. Say come here. Come here, all the little kids, come here. Gather up here. Get up here. Brian, here. No, no, in front of me, in front of me. Give me five. Give me five. Give me five. All right, give me five. Give me five. All right, where's Brian? Give me five. All right, give me five. Okay, okay. now, let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for these little ones. I want to thank you that they come with such exuberance and joy. I pray that you would bless them as they learn from you, as they learn about you. In your most holy and precious name, amen. Okay, guys, head straight on back. Your teachers are ready for you. <laughs> ready or not, here they come. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Oh, golly. I noticed... I noticed that my music stand is not going to be able to hold up my Bible. It keeps sinking. Hmm. This is going to be interesting. Because my eyesight is not good enough to read it way down there. Let's try this again. I'll just keep, I'll just keep raising it. Maybe I'll steal a different one. I don't know. Let me grab my water real quick. Because I know that I'm going to need water. I'll make do. Don't worry about it. I couldn't help but notice that... Um, the week that Pastor Adam is gone and he asks me to uh, preach, um, I, it, it just somehow serendipitously landed upon one of the most difficult passages in all of the book of John. I'm sure that wasn't planned. At least I keep telling myself that. Because this passage, to be frank, I'm looking for something a little more stiff. This passage, to be frank, um, it needs a good four or five weeks. I've got one. Um, and it needs that time because it is so deep. It is so rich. And it is so controversial. We often don't think of that, or, or we don't think of things a lot oftentimes because we read through them too quickly. But this passage here contains some of the most debated and argued passages, concepts, doctrines, in all of Christianity. And it is my great privilege to expound upon them, to try to bring something to us, to teach us. So please join me in prayer. Before we take another look at this passage, before I say anything else and stick my foot further in my mouth than it already is or will be, let us pray. God Almighty, you have said yourself in your word that we do not understand unless you would give us understanding. And so I'm asking, please, God, teach. Father, I beg you, instruct, please. I pray that you open, open our ears to hear and our eyes to see, grant our, grant our minds understanding, but more than all of that, please soften our hearts that we may believe you. Please take this incredibly deep passage 
draw us into your understanding. It is in your Holy Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray, and for your glory alone. Amen. So the passage that I am assigned to preach is John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59, which is great. But that's sort of like the last half of the story. So I'm going to do a bit of a reminder because this story actually, to, to really understand this in its context, and if any of you have been going through Pastor Adam's Wednesday night study, you understand, you know, you have been taught that context is everything. It's super important. So to get this in context, we have to scroll back to verse 22. Verse 22, this takes place directly after the feeding of the 5,000, which Mike taught about several weeks ago, and and then the walking on the water. The very next day, in verse 22, it says, "On on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of bread. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? I'm going to pause this right there as we work through this. They actually asked a really good question, I think. We see this periodically in Scripture where somebody will say to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And it's a legitimate question, but it's also the wrong question. Jesus' answer to them is this. In verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They're raised in a religious tradition based upon works. You have to be good enough. And any infraction means you're toast. You're not good enough. God will reject you. What must we do? What works are the works of God? And Jesus breaks it down very simply, and he says it is quite simply this. Believe. Believe. Now, his statement has two meanings. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God means this is the work God does. The second meaning, the easier one for us to understand and accept in many cases, is this is the work that God expects of you. Believe. That's the easy one for us. You know, the only work that God expects of you is belief. That's it. 
We often complicate Christianity a great deal. Belief. But the harder thing, which we'll address when we get to verses 44 and 45, is that your belief is also God's work. In that the very possibility of your believing is God's work. If you believe, it is because God has made you able to believe. That is something that is sometimes difficult for us to accept. It is, it goes against our American individualism, our self-sufficiency, our freedom. It goes against our desire to be the boss, to acknowledge that I can't in and of myself come to any kind of faith or belief in God unless He is the one who makes me able to do this. And yet Jesus said it, it is the work of God. The work of God is that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And then it gets even more controversial from there. Jesus, so they, they said to Him, verse 30, so they said to Him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Okay, wait a minute. Remember, these people have just come across the lake to Capernaum from what event? This is not a rhetorical question. I don't ask rhetorical questions. I do interactive stuff. I know it totally goes against you know, the white way of doing church. Get over it. Um, you know, what, what event just happened? The feeding of the 5,000. And they're saying, what sign are you going to give us? Now, that wasn't the only sign he'd done in Capernaum. Okay, so there were a lot of people in Capernaum who weren't there at the feeding. Okay, great. They're not going to take somebody's word for it. Fine. But he had done other miracles here already. And they're asking him, what are you going to do to, to prove it? Prove it. Show me. I, I can imagine Jesus standing there going, wait, what? what? What do you mean? What sign am I going to do to prove? Most of you were here because you followed me across the lake because I've just fed you. With a few loaves of bread and some fish, I fed over 5,000 people. 5,000 men plus women and children. And now you're asking me for another sign? They are forgetting. They're overlooking. And it's not because, I mean, they're, they're not forgetting because they can't remember yesterday. It's because they're trying to find an excuse to not believe what Jesus is telling them. They don't like what he is saying. And so they are picking at things. Keep that in your memory, because we're going to come back to that point. So in verse 31, 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven. What sign are you going to show us? Moses gave, okay, so Moses fed our people with manna. It wasn't just a one-time event. It lasted for 40 years. What are you going to do? Jesus, I love his response here. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. When you see that truly, truly, it's Jesus going, okay, listen up here. Listen up, y'all. This is really super important. I do not want to repeat myself. Truly, truly, listen up. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father. So often in our lives, we do look back to things in the past, and we idolize these things in the past, and we begin to look at them in not entirely accurate ways. It is important that we do not forget the past. We see when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River led by Joshua, they were commanded to take stones from the middle of the river and to make a memorial there, a monument. Why? Anybody remember? I'm just curious. Other than Team Franklin. It was so that in future generations, in future years, kids would see this as they were traveling from one place to another. Kids would see this and say, Mom, Dad, why is there this giant pillar of stone sitting here? And the parents would say, oh, that marks the time when God parted the waters of the Jordan River, stopped them up so that we could cross across the river on dry ground and conquer Canaan. It's important to remember things, but it's important to remember them rightly. The people remembered the manna, but they were saying, Moses gave us manna. Moses didn't give you nothing. God gave us manna. The amazing things that God does in a church's life weren't because of the pastor that was here back when, or the deacon that was here back when, or whatever else. It was because God had blessed it was because the church was doing what God said it should do, and God blessed. Always give God glory. Always, 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 always. When I taught, I taught at a Christian school for a few years, and my students picked up on something, that I am really big on the glory of God. And so they started, whenever they didn't know the answer to a quiz question, they would just write, for God's glory. Got to be careful, because sometimes that's not the right answer. You know, I mean, talking about, anyway, yeah, bad things in history, a history class. Yeah, concentration camps were not for the glory of God, okay, I'm just saying. Um, but they, they would throw this out, because we need to be focusing on God's glory, not our own. It's not about me or Adam or, 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 or any of y'all. It's about God. Jesus said, it is my Father. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. For the bread of God, verse 33, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Remember the woman at the well? Sir, give me this living water so I don't have to keep coming back here. She'll still thinking in the human terms. These guys are still thinking in the human terms. Yeah, great, give us this bread. We don't want to have to bake bread. Man, that takes a lot of time. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. I'm wondering if they picked up on that. That I am statement. Those of you who've been around church for a long time may have picked up on the I am statement. When Moses is talking to God at the burning bush and he says, who shall I say has sent me? What is your name? What name did God give Moses to give to the people? I am that I am. I am who I am. I am. I am existence. The simple verb to be. Now, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, so they may have missed it because he wasn't using the Hebrew term. I am the bread of life. They, but I say to you, verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. As Baptists, we love our doctrine, once saved, always saved. We love that. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It's a really bad way to express the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. But the only reason that that holds together is if, it is, if salvation is the work of God and not ourselves. Jesus says, all the Father has given me. Who's the actor? Who's the person doing something in that sentence? It is the Father. The Father is doing the giving. Father's doing the giving. And then Jesus says, I will never cast them out. My salvation, your salvation, is not based on anything except your belief in Christ. It's not about how good you can be or anything else or even just that you were able to work up the faith somehow. Even the faith to believe is an absolute gift of God and that is why you can be totally sure that Christ will never cast you out. Because God himself is holding on to you. My own life is a testament to this. I did my prodigal son thing more than once. I was a slow learner. Do you ever have kids or mules or, you know, that are like that? It's like, how many of you have ever worked with sheep? I use this analogy a lot. My wife's tired and sick and tired of hearing this story, I'm sure. But how many of you have ever worked with sheep? Okay, we got one person who's worked with sheep. Brother, are sheep known for their intelligence? No. The only thing that sheep are really good at is finding ways to kill themselves. I was moving sheep from one pasture to another, and there was this one sheep that just hit the, hit the fence. Bam! I mean, the gate was open, and most of the sheep were going out through the gate, but there's this one gate, one, one sheep, it goes bam into the fence. 
like shakes its head, and it kind of takes a step to the left, and bam, hits, hits the fence again. And it shakes its head, and it takes another step to the left. And, and it just kept doing that, smashing into the fence, until finally it had taken enough, enough steps to the left to get through the gate. And I'm thinking, come on, you stupid sheep, just move over. And then after that, God's like, yeah, that's you. Illustration, he who has ears to hear or eyes to see, let him hear and see. God revealed to me, I'm that sheep. And my belief, my faith, isn't because I'm all that in a bag of chips. It's because God took a hold of my life and refused to let me go no matter how much I kicked and or screamed. And that's been true throughout my life. Even in my pastoral ministry, there are days and times when you're just so beaten up. I'm just screaming at God in my office. And yet somehow through all of that, after I have my little temper tantrum, I get back to the Word. And God's love envelops me. And I can feel Him holding on to me. can feel him not letting me go. Verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So now the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, now again, see, they're starting to pick apart. They're not liking what he is saying. And so they're starting to nitpick. Wait a minute, how? They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, it's interesting. Um, the people that I found that have the most issue with that verse, this concept that nobody can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them, they're usually people that have been born and raised in church. The unchurched, people that are or burned by church, don't, don't usually struggle with this. I remember having a conversation with one young lady, um, and we got to this, this doctrine, this, this point, and she goes, no, I totally get that. I mean, if you'd have told me a month ago that I'd be in church, I'd have told you you were nuts. I've been coming here for almost a month now, and I don't know why. I'm like, well, good. That shows that God's drawing you. Excellent. Just, just go with it. Don't try to overthink it or analyze it. Just, just, just go with it. Because God will draw you along at the rate at which you're capable of being drawn along. 
Anybody seen anybody, ever, anybody seen somebody walking a little dog and they're dragging it behind them? And the little dog's like, that's not God. Well, with me sometimes, but it's usually more like, um, but God draws us along at the rate at which we're able to deal with it. Because he knows us. Now, some of us are more open than others. Jesus said, if, unless you're like a little child, he doesn't mean immature and throwing temper tantrums. We see that they're doing that here. A grown-up's going to throw temper tantrums too. But the way the children, man, they believe hard, don't they? Watch a child playing. They believe hard. They get into it. And they accept I think I've probably learned more about Jesus by ministering to children than I have by ministering to adults. Ministering to children, though, doesn't come natural to me. I know, I've got six kids. I'm like, really? Yeah. I can deal with my kids. But ministering to children is not something that, I, that is natural to me. And yet... God has taught me more about himself through ministering to children. And then in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The prophet he's quoting is Isaiah. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now we've read, Jesus has taught, but those who come, and God is drawing. Well, how does this happen? By hearing, by listening, by learning. When we become, when our eyes are open and we finally become aware of the amazingness of Jesus Christ, When the blinders are pulled off, then we come. When we finally see, when we hear and we learn, it's trying to draw a, a real-world example. Kind of like, you know, all you know I'm thinking about, I've got kids in the brain right now. You know, all you know is, is playing at the little park on the, on, the, on the corner of your block. And then the opportunity, you know, somebody might talk about, you know, Disneyland or Disney World, but you don't know anything about Disneyland or Disney World. Like, okay, whatever, you know, yeah. But then one day, you see a TV show where they go to Disney World. Like, ooh, that looks like fun. And then one day, the offer is made to you, all expenses paid trip to Disney World. You kind of have, it's kind of a no-brainer. God draws us. We listen. We hear. We learn. And from that, we come. In 46, Jesus goes on, Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who, who is from God, 
He has seen the Father. He's talking about himself. And truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And now we get into the really weird part. And I'm going to just blow by this I mean, like really fast. I'm going to summarize it for you because it's super weird. Because Jesus starts talking now about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Pastor Adam mentioned that this whole idea, this, this, this blood thing, was super offensive to the Jewish people in first century, in, in first century uh, Judea. Super offensive. So offensive that in the book of Acts, when this whole debate is going on about whether or not Gentile believers need to also become Jews and accept all the Jewish stuff, and the council, the Christian council, says, no, they don't need to also become Jews. All that following the law didn't do us any good. But we're going to write a letter to them and encourage them to abstain from certain things. And one of those was eating meat with the blood still in it because that is abhorrent to the Jewish people. And we don't want to offend the Jewish believers. And so Jesus here is saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, what is he talking about? Cannibalism? This is weird. Jesus has been making I am statements. He has been identifying himself as God in the flesh. And unless Jesus is actually God, then yes, he is talking about cannibalism. If Jesus was merely a human being, this, and this whole passage right here, from 48 to 59, where he says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And if Jesus is merely a human being, then right there he has identified himself as a nutter. Jesus did not leave us the option of just going with, oh, he's a nice teacher. I really like him. He's not Joel Osteen. I don't usually call out people, but there are some people that really torque me off. He's one. He's not just about everything's all sunshine and roses. Jesus identified himself as God. And it was his declaration that he is God that got him crucified. He's standing there before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. All these people are giving all these false accusations. Finally, the high priest says, are you the Messiah? Are you the chosen one of God? And he goes, I am. And the high priest didn't miss the I am statement this time. And he tears his robe and says, what evidence do we need more? You've heard it from his own mouth. Jesus is talking figuratively. Again, if you've been going through Pastor Adam's class, you learn about different modes of speech and figures of speech and, and, and there's different genres and, and we have to read the Bible correctly. And so there are those here who are hearing him and he's talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. Verse 60 says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
We're not talking about just about the Jewish hangers-on and, and, or about the Gentiles. Some of his own disciples are hearing this going, wait, what? This is really weird, Jesus. Who can listen to this? It's nuts. See, not everybody there listening to him really heard. And not everybody there really learned. And so not everybody there came. But there were those who were hearing him, who were hearing these words. Okay, wait, 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 wait. There's something deeper here. Obviously, he's not talking about his literal flesh and blood, so there's something else going on here. Do you ever have that experience where you've got that word right on the tip of your tongue, and you're like, oh, and you're trying to remember what that word is? And I can imagine there's, there's people here listening to him going, okay, okay, I've almost got this. This idea, this doctrine, this theology, what Jesus is teaching, their brains are, are just, they've just about got it, and they're hanging on to every word that he says. Jesus is life. Remember, Jesus has been talking about bread. Remember what Pastor Adam talked about last week. Bread was life. We believe in Jesus. That is the way to eternal life. But to believe means to seek, to know. It's not just, yep, it's out there. Not just a mental thing. To believe is to seek to know, to commit oneself completely, to believe requires repentance, changing from one thing to another, acknowledging I'm wrong, and Jesus is right. It challenges our thoughts. It challenges us. No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For everyone who has heard and learned from the Father Christianity was never intended to be just a Jewish sect, nor is it just a, a white man's religion. It is following the one true living God. It is following the one true living God. We just had a missionary from India speak to us the other Friday night, and he's working amongst Muslim people in India. But did you know that the nation with the fastest growing rate of Christianity is Iran? A Muslim nation of Persian background. And people are coming to Christ faster there than anywhere else in the world. Churches are springing up on a weekly basis. People are hearing 
and they're learning and they're coming. God is drawing. We must abide in Christ. Every day, we must abide in Christ. Jesus said that his mission was to seek and save the lost. And then he said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Father is sending us. We've got the easy job. We're just supposed to share the gospel, the good news. That drawing, that's God's job, not mine, not yours. I'm not supposed to argue somebody into salvation. I'm just going to share the gospel and trust God to do the drawing. But before I can do that, I myself must be feeding on Christ. The body has a better chance of living without food than our soul has of living without Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy that you draw. Father, Lord God Almighty, I ask that you would draw us. I ask that you would draw those around us. I ask that you, God, would reveal yourself to us. I ask that you would use us for your glory. In your most holy and precious name, amen. This song is so rich with gospel. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you have made your friend. Stand with me and, and sing this. Jesus, thank you. As we praise God, if any of you want to talk more about this, I'd be happy to talk with you. If God has worked in your heart, if God has said something to you, if God has challenged you in some way, please let me know. I'll let Pastor Adam know. Let's thank God for who he is and what he has done.
Church gathered, now we're going. We are we are the church.